Welcome to McClatchy's Beyond the Bubble podcast on this chilly late May day where we're vowing to withhold funds from Gaia herself if she doesn't agree to give us warmer temperatures soon. I'm Alex Rorty, a political correspondent for McClatchy, coming to you from my living room in the nation's capital. And today, I am delighted to be joined by David Katniss, my fellow political correspondent and a burgeoning TikTok star. Dave, <laughs> welcome. I can confirm I am a burgeoning star, but I'm not there yet. But I am also freezing in D.C. in May, which I'm disappointed with. It has been an, an unwelcome development, I would say, amid, amid the pandemic. We should also say for those of you who are watching this over video, uh, because of various technical difficulties, Dave is not going to be coming to us live, but he is recording this live. You just can't see a picture of him. We apologize for that. We will try to work out those technical issues in the future. And of course, uh, we are also welcoming back to the show Francesca Chambers, a White House reporter for the McClatchy DC Bureau. Francesca, any new run-ins with President Trump that you want to tell us about? <laughs> no, not yet. We haven't actually had a news conference this week with him, but I'm hopeful. I'm hopeful. You, you just never know with you, Francesca. You just never know. You know, well, could have even been. You could have run in. I'm hopeful for a <laughs> news conference. <laughs> <laughs> we have smart, smart answer there. Smart answer. Okay, coming up, we're going to continue our tour of 2020's battleground states with a check-in on Arizona a state Dave wrote about this week that might already be ringing the alarm bell on Donald Trump's re-election. But first, we're going to discuss the president's often inaccurate, politically dubious opposition against voting by mail. Now, since the beginning of the pandemic, many voting rights experts have warned that the country needs to change how it votes this November. The reasons are pretty self-evident. If the virus is still whipping through our society, the interest of public health would dictate that forcing millions of people to stand in line, some of them for hours at a time, to vote is a very bad, bad idea. But almost as soon as those concerns began to percolate, so too did Trump's fervent denunciation of the proposed method of voting. You've probably heard him say it, or at least seen him tweet it, but he says vote by mail is a process open to fraud, though he's notably lied on providing any supporting evidence for that claim. The fight escalated this week, however, when he suggested he would withhold money from two states, Michigan and Nevada, if they didn't suspend sending voter applications in the mail. But Francesca, the president's threat wasn't all that accurate. Why don't you tell us why? Well, so this touches on all sides of town and all sides of politics. There's a lot here, and I'm so glad we're doing this today, Alex. It, uh, it, so, it sounds like a good topic there, for a yeah, podcast, a lot. when you put okay, it that way. Let's try and break this down. So the president first tweeted and said that Michigan was sending ballots to every single person in the state which wasn't accurate. What they're doing is they are sending the form so that you can request an absentee ballot to every single person in the state. He then went on, as the White House press secretary said, to correct his tweet. She said, so the president corrected his tweet, as you noted, during a White House press briefing. That is really significant because I'm not sure that I have ever heard the White House say that the president corrected anything. So they acknowledged that he was wrong. Then historic moment. Some would say it, it's a historic moment. It, it, it is actually a very significant moment. So then they went on to say, though, that if you want to hear about the money that he's talking about or or how he would even do that, she said that this is a campaign issue. She declined to respond to any of the other questions about this, sidestepped everything, which was also very interesting as a reporter press turn said, but I'm asking you because you're the president's press secretary. You're the president's spokesperson and wouldn't answer the questions, pushed him to the Trump campaign. Meanwhile, on the other side of town, this has been a very big issue for Congress because they're considering a phase four stimulus package. 
In that package, they included more than $3 billion for vote by mail efforts for states, at least the House did. The Nancy Pelosi dead on arrival bill included this money. And if they were to pass any sort of measure like this as part of the bipartisan bill, that would give money to states so that states could afford to have vote by mail. Because Alex, as you noted, it's just a fact of reality that, that people are staying at home, states are currently closed, and that more people will be voting by mail. And we have states like North Carolina that are saying they can't afford that because the amount of money that it costs to send everybody the ballots and to process them, and even if people are coming to the polls, by the way, the PPE that they'd have to have, there's just so many issues involved in this, and I'm sure we'll unravel all of them, but that is the starting point of this conversation. I mean, it sounds like Francesca, look, I know the president says that he's worried about fraud and abuse of the system, but at its core, he seems like, and, and a lot of Republicans will say quietly, that they're worried about the political implications of letting people vote. I mean, my question to you is whether or not that's even justified, just purely on the politics. Take away the, the substance of this for a moment and ask who actually benefits from vote by mail. And I'm not even sure that that case is, is, is very clear. My own sort of research in this subject, and you will quickly find like a lot of subjects that things get complicated very fast. There aren't as many truths in the research as you might hope for in a question like this. But a lot of people who have studied this issue, to cut to the chase here, say it's not really all that clear that Republicans don't benefit. Benefit, um, from vote by mail. And, and oh, by the way, there is no precedence for this situation. This is something I feel like we're talking about every week on this show. But nobody knows who would actually benefit turnout wise if, if people are scared about going to the polls uh, because of a pandemic. You know, that, that who, who, stay, who stays home in that situation and who would be more likely to be helped by vote by mail? For all we know, it could be a lot of older Republican voters who would need this. And so right. I, th- that's one of the reasons I wanted to talk about this. It just feels like on a lot of points, on almost every different faceted of this issue, the president is maybe misguided. So we do actually have one example that we can point to, and that was California in their special election uh, when the Republican candidate still won with mm-hmm. massive right. vote by mail. So actually, in recent events, you could actually point to a scenario where a Republican candidate did win despite there being mostly vote by mail situation. You're totally right on the politics in that it's it's not exactly clear why the president has chosen to make this his issue, right? Like his big issue that he's very upset and been railing against, but it is the issue that he has picked. And yesterday he then went on in a meeting with Kansas's governor and Asa Hutchinson, the governor of Arkansas, to, to talk about this issue more. And he mentioned that it plays into voter ID and Republicans belief that there should be voter ID in all of these states. You know, you have to show your identification to prove that you are who you say you are. His position on this was if you go to the polls, then they can at least check and make sure that you are who you say you are. If you're voting from home, he said, you don't know that someone else is signing the ballot. It could be the same person as he said, again, and we should point out there, there's not evidence to suggest that this is happening, but that he, he said that he's worried that there are people who will get multiple ballots and sign them for all kinds of people and send them in and the state won't be able to check that that was actually the people who say that they are. And he uh, laid that out in great detail yesterday afternoon. And I think that is also significant because it's the first time we've really heard the president explain his thinking on why he thinks that there will be ballot harvesting and what he called massive fraud. Dave, I want to bring you in because I want to take a step back and look at some of the broader politics at play, because this is not the first time 
where the president of the United States, who is seeking reelection, who needs to win a state like Michigan, has picked a, a fight with, with that state and some of its public officials, particularly governor there, Gretchen Whitmer. In any other circumstance, this would be considered a very fraught discussion, right? I mean, that you could be seen, in, in a, if things don't go your way politically, as seen as targeting a state that, again, you need to win in November. That doesn't seem like great politics. Yeah, but I also think we need to sort of understand the context that in the last couple of weeks, Trump has been presented with polling data that shows him losing Michigan. I mean, specifically Michigan. The Republicans know that they're down in Michigan. They have shown this data to, to, to the president. So when he lashed out at Michigan, it really didn't surprise me. I think he sees that state potentially slipping away. And, you know, this is setting a predicate for why it slips away. It's not because, you know, Donald Trump's response to COVID or um, people having an unfavorable opinion of him, right? It's it's because, oh, they're changing the rules and, and there's fraud. The ironic thing about this vote by mail debate, though, is that there have been a lot of Republicans previously that have been pushing for the for a change to to allow for vote by mail. For instance, in Pennsylvania, a really important state for both parties and and particularly the president, right? One of the blue wall states he flipped. Last year, it was a GOP legislature that pushed for an expansion of vote by mail. So he's sort of fighting with a lot of people in these states with his own party in Nevada. It was a Republican secretary of state that made the decision to basically go to a full mail-in election. Another state that's probably going to be tough for the president to win. But, you know, you could argue a marginal battleground state. Yeah, sure. So I would. It's still on the map. Yeah, it's still know, on the map. So you've got Republicans in these states saying, like, look, this is going to be the smart way for more voters to participate and not worry about a health risk. And you've got a president you know, going against that. I guess that's not unprecedented. He goes against his party all the time if it's in his interest. But I think these are the fights we're going to see. And I think a lot of these are going to end up in court where, frankly, you do have a lot of Republican or I should say conservative judges that could side with the president. You know, and this is where the judiciary is, is very important, because I think you're going to see challenges to law changes, challenges to not only sending ballots, but the requirements uh, around ballots. I mean, I, I've been watching some of these court fights in Florida, in North Carolina, saying, do you have to include postage or does the voter have to then provide a stamp to mail their ballot back if you provide the ballot? I mean, there's all these sort of they're, they're all vote by mail questions, but they're but they're sort of on the margins. They're about really specific rules that guide vote by mail. I think this is going to be really important. I mean, if we're talking about states that are decided by one point, two points, all this stuff matters. And ironically, I think we're going to have a lot of court cases into the summer, into the fall about the rules guiding this election. Yeah, I mean, it's a, it's a thing that sticks out to me again. Look, look, the Republican Party relies more heavily on older voters. Yeah. Right. Um, and, and of course, who is at more risk with this pandemic? You know, younger or older voters or it's older voters. And so just on an almost kind of common sense level, it feels like Republicans, if anyone, should be the ones more aggressively advocating uh, for an expansion of vote by mail. Now, Democrats would say that they are, but only for their voters while trying to restrict access to some Democratic voters. Just real quick, Dave, I mean, you talk about Michigan slipping away. And Francesca, I'm curious what you make of this, too. I mean, if, if that's the case, is lashing out this way, is is, is that the, the approach that a lot of 
former presidents would take, that a lot of strategists today would recommend? I mean, that seems like <laughs> a strange reaction if you feel like the state is Yeah, no, ob- obviously not. I mean, but Trump, you know, Trump paves his own way. I think he sees this as the most effective route. I will say, though, that in an, in an election that is becoming more and more polarized and people are just on their team, I think it does whip up his base. And remember, you've got people whipped up in Michigan already for the stay-at-home order, people on his side, conservative Republicans who uh, you know are upset with the governor, who think she went too far in implementing some of the restrictions as far as businesses being closed and the fact that they couldn't leave their house and travel to other counties. So the Republican base in Michigan is already whipped up. This is another point that they can say, see, here they go. They're really trying to put all the stops out to put Michigan back in the in the Democratic column. But, you know, I'm always hesitant to say that this is a bigger part of a Trump strategy rather than him getting up, seeing a news clip and reacting in real time. I think that is that is <laughs> usually how he works. I think we as political reporters sometimes try to put too much into it. But, you know, he's also very contradictory. In a couple of weeks, he could be saying something completely different. So, but Dave, I will say it does feel like this is part of like a strategy that he's gearing up for in this election because this was part of what he did in 2016. He has to have something where he can say, like, look, they are trying to do something that will make it harder for me because they are trying to steal this election from me and from you, my supporters. And this does feel really similar to that argument and where he's taking it. Yeah, I think so. I think I think that's true. I just think that like literally in a month, if the polls get better for Trump in Michigan and suddenly he is told, well, older voters are most impacted and they really want to be able to vote by mail, he'll switch and he'll have no problem taking well, yeah, the other position. <laughs> So uh, sometimes the Trump strategy is like, I don't know. I mean, there will be books written about this, obviously. But I'm, I'm more of like, he, he's flying by the seat of his pants. And he goes on gut. And his gut is, Michigan's falling away. Florida. Tra- I'm, Florida I'm like, so I'm going to argue that this is the reason. It's not because of me. They're changing the rules. The system right. is rigged, right? Dave, apparently not in the camp that thinks Trump is playing five-dimensional chess. <laughs> At all times, which I feel like we're someone is obligated to write that column every yeah. three months that the president is playing some really complicated game to distract from his real problems. When Dave, I mean, I could not agree more strongly with you. I think it is literally a matter of him watching TV in that morning, remembering the polling that he got yesterday, and and lashing out. And there's nothing really beyond that. Uh, that's that's really a play. There was actually a piece on TV, by the way, on how Gretchen Whitmer was being vetted to be uh, uh, Biden's particular. Uh, It all adds up. And so you can almost always trace back what (laughs) the president is tweeting about in the morning to what is on TV, particularly Fox or CNN that morning. Francesca, I'm I'm curious, what is the sense within the White House or in the reelection campaign or just Republicans more broadly about this question of emphasizing public safety versus reopening the economy? Because it seems like the president has obviously slid very decisively in favor of reopening the economy. But when you look at polls, both nationally and in some of these battleground states, it seems like that there is still an overwhelming majority of people who want to emphasize public safety, who are want to be cautious about reopening. Is there something in the numbers that we're missing or, or what is the feeling about that within the White House? Let me start with the vote by mail, which will actually take us to where you want to go. Yeah, yeah, okay. that's what I like to hear. Wrap it all up. Okay, yes. so on the vote by mail, there, are, again, are actually Republicans, as you said, who are pushing for this. 
you have Republicans through the rule of law, which is affiliated with an anti-Trump group that had put $750,000 into ads pushing lawmakers, senators specifically in key states to vote for a provision in a relief package that would include more money for vote by mail for the reasons I said earlier, which is that they believe that vote by mail is going to happen either way, right? And so states need to be able to have the infrastructure to be able to do those sorts of things. So that's number one. Then you have the RNC who's being asked about these sorts of measures and Ronna McDaniel, the chairwoman of the RNC, saying that what the Republican Party opposes is sending every single person an actual physical ballot because they feel that those can be manipulated, but they don't specifically have a problem with sending them the absentee ballot request form to every single person. So there is some rights, some nuance, even with the Republican Party on this issue, which brings me to your, your final point about the polling. Most Americans are supportive of vote by mail, period. And that is why there are people who think that this should not be a partisan issue specifically. Another thing that polling is telling us right now about the reopenings is Republicans are souring on the medical professionals that are affiliated with this administration that are pushing for things to remain closed longer. There was a morning consult poll yesterday that showed that Republicans are down each week on Dr. Anthony Fauci, who has been the most vocal critic, right, within the administration, at least publicly, of some of these states and their reopening measures, saying that he thinks that they're they're either moving too fast, they're not meeting the gating criteria, and saying things like schools should maybe re think reopening in August, that sort of thing. And you can, you know, you can start to see this shift with even within the Republican Party to where they're starting to not favor that kind of advice in those people as much anymore. Fauci has been notably absent from the public lately, right? I mean, someone who was out out front really as even the president was early in this process seems like he has faded to the background and maybe that's not a, maybe that's not a coincidence right now. Well, and part of it is because the White House is wanting to put more emphasis, as you were asking, on the reopening itself, but also the economy and how we're going to get the you know businesses, give them incentives to reopen and get the economy back on track. But I'll also add that, that even if that's what they want to focus more on, it's a little bit difficult to focus on that, even as a reporter, for instance, because they don't have specific plans that they have ready to go. So even the things that they might be asking Congress for an economic stimulus package are all just things that they're floating, developing, considering when it comes to like an economic plan. That is not actually something that they have put out. And so they want to focus on the economy and getting it back on track, but they're just not quite there yet. And until they have something, you know, on that to do, I think you're going to continue to see this focus from, you know, Congress, Washington, everybody right on the other, which is the health aspects of this. Hey there, we're Katie and Ben from the wrestling podcast, Kind of Fun. We're two super fans and wrestling insiders who love to talk about what's going on behind the ropes. And no matter what the world of sports looks like, there's always something new happening in the squared circle. So we cover everything from AEW to New Japan to the WWE. And we keep up with all the gossip and news coming from my favorite sweethearts. Katie, you're the only person I know who would call these bruisers sweethearts. Well, they're sweethearts that could punch your face in. Listen to Kind of Fun free only on Spotify. Dave, let's pivot to Arizona. This is a state that I think had started this election cycle seen as a second-tier battleground. I think really in the the year and a half since, 
it has really moved almost to the front of the pack. I think it is seen as one of the preeminent battlegrounds. You have written about that in the past. And I think there's an interesting wrinkle that is developing in that state. A certain famous former sheriff <laughs> possibly going to share the ballot with Donald Trump uh, this, this November. Why don't you tell us a little bit about that and what the general election implications are in the presidential race? You know, it was interesting. Last week, I began calling around about Arizona and just having initial conversations about where the presidential race stood, where the Senate race stood. And then it was just brought to my attention, you know, Sheriff Joe's running again. And I I honestly didn't know that. <laughs> and I was told Neither that. Neither did I. Neither, you, you mentioned that in a politics meeting. And I was like, oh, what? Really? Yeah. I had no I idea. Mean, look. Full disclosure, it was disclosed by Democrats who were sort of salivating at the chance to run <laughs> against Arpaio and his immigration rhetoric in a year where you've got a rising tide of Hispanics that are being registered in that state. You saw the result of that in 2018. Democrats feel better about getting more Hispanics out, obviously, even in this year. But yeah, it, it just throws another uh, wrinkle. And I should say, even before that, I think that Arizona is a better state for Democrats to pick off than even Wisconsin right now, as far as like where their candidates are, where the party stands, the voting demographics of that state look pretty good for the Democratic Party. But Arpaio, uh, he's in a primary. I, I should say that he has to win an August primary. But if he is back on the ballot, Democrats sort of signaled to, to me that they're going to weaponize this. And look, President Trump went out to Phoenix and held an entire rally around pardoning Joe Arpaio, which he eventually did. I mean, this was early in his term. It was August of 2017. I was out there. So, like, he is very tied to him. And I had a long conversation with Arpaio. I should say the president obviously hasn't endorsed in, in a sheriff's race. But Arpaio is saying his campaign is going to be talking about Donald Trump every day and that he, he says he brings voters to Trump. Now, it's a bit of a reverse sort of psychology to say that Arpaio could affect Trump, right? A down-ballot sheriff race in Maricopa County could actually impact the president. And that's where the Republicans will argue that. They're saying, like, look, we're not worried about this. You know, the presidential drives everything. But Democrats say that because of Sheriff Joe's unique position, he's got a national fundraising base. He's going to have a new book coming out talking about how the Obama administration railroaded him like they did Michael Flynn. I mean, the guy knows how to get in the news, I just wanted to flag this as sort of a, a red flag that, that Trump and Republicans may have to deal with, not only at the presidential level, but they've got a, a very important Senate race and they've got legislative races. I mean, the legislature is up for grabs. Democrats believe they can flip the state legislature in Arizona. So it's sort of all the way up and down the ballot. And if Democrats can pin Arpaio, who is frankly just toxic with even a lot of moderate Republican voters – like that's going to become a problem. And I think it'll become a problem later in this cycle, not right now when people are not paying attention to it. But it's something that was raised in conversations I had over and over in Arizona. I mean, Joe Arpaio seems like more than any single person, with the possible exception of the president himself, has done the most work to turn Maricopa County at least purple. Right. right. I mean, that you're talking about a once deep red area. Uh, he lost that it. He right. lost it by it, 13 points. He lost it by— And Maricopa right. County used to be a bastion of republicanism, and he lost that county by 13 points. Trump carried it by about three, one Arizona by 3.5, but you've got the latest polling out there that shows Trump down by seven. Guess how many points he's losing Maricopa by? 13. Right, right. He can't win that state if he's losing Maricopa County by 13 points. 
Francesca, one of the reasons, look, normally I would agree with Republicans that the, the candidates down the ballot are not really going to affect someone at the top of the ticket, especially when that is not just the presidential nominee, but the president himself. That that said, I mean, there is seemingly something a little bit different. Not only is Arpaio just universally known in Arizona and in the Phoenix area, but normally with a presidential campaign, you would say, okay, well, the, the president and, and his reelection apparatus, they're going to have to be careful about how they handle the sheriff. They're going to have to try to keep their distance, make clear that's a separate distinction. The president's reelection campaign is, is capable of that. But the president himself, again, as we just spent the previous segment discussing, is something of, a, of an impulsive campaigner. And do we really think he can go through a, a month long campaign and not associate with, with Sheriff Joe in some form or fashion? See, maybe that's not, that's not been his M.O. Yeah, but maybe put me if like if Dave is like way on the it's not five dimensional chess, like maybe put me right like on the other side of that, which is mm-hmm. I do think that th- he does have a strategy to to some of these things. And I think that when it comes to like these candidates like you're talking about, he, he chooses to not associate with a lot of discipline to, to certain people if he if he wants to. I mean, he, he has expertly avoided Richard Burr over the past week, right? And talking about that when he wanted to, you know, like, I don't, I don't really know much about that. Oh, yeah, this is all a surprise to me. Oh, I just heard about it, right? And I know that you hate it when I mention a certain state, so let me just mention a certain senator. I mean, he has not commented on Kelly Loeffler in light of that either, right? When he's asked about that, he's like, no, I hadn't, I hadn't heard about that, you know? Right. So if he wants to, he can pull a Dave here and say, oh, I hadn't heard he was running. Oh, that's new to me. If someone brings it up, if someone brings it up to him. But then there are other people where he's made it very clear he really wants to get involved. He could have just stayed out of the Alabama Jeff Sessions situation. And yet he doesn't want to do that. He's still really angry at him going back to recusing himself from the Russia investigation and has decided to put his thumb on the scale in a GOP primary in that race. And he gets involved in house races and all it, all kinds of things all the time. So it just depends, I think, on his personal preference and how upset he is by something. And, and the most likely when he'll get involved, right, is if he does have some sort of a personal tie to the person or uh, feels like they were wronged. And in the case of Arpaio, because he was, you know, originally involved in his case, it is certainly something that I would imagine is on his radar at the very least. Dave, let me ask you just before we go, one kind of big 2020 big picture question. Is Arizona replacing Wisconsin? Could it replace Wisconsin as the preeminent swing state in America? Yes, I actually think, I mean, Wisconsin is is a bit tougher for Dems just because there are more non-college white voters that are more likely to be in Trump's column. But look, if you just look at, if you take the battleground map of 2016, and if Biden can win back Pennsylvania and Michigan and lose Wisconsin... He can make it up late in the night in Arizona, and he's the president. So, like, he can lose Wisconsin, which everyone – you remember we, we, we said for years, you got to win back the three. You got to win back the three, Pennsylvania, Michigan, Wisconsin. Well, with Arizona, it basically replaces it. So it gives Democrats a little wiggle room. Now, I think you'll have different strategists disagree on where to put the resources and where to spend the focus. But in all my conversations with Democrats – you know, Arizona is going to be, if not a, a number one target, it's a 1A. It's right under Wisconsin or potentially even just because 
you've got more college-educated voters, but also more Hispanic voters. And you've got a lot of groups that were successful in 2018 in registering more Hispanic voters. And they won a tough Senate race, and they feel really good about another Senate race this year, Mark Kelly against Martha McSally. So you got a lot of activist groups that have done this in 2018. There are pile factors there. And, you know, the polling is just very, very good uh, for Democrats. So I think we're going to be talking about Arizona a whole bunch till November. I, I would say, I mean, one of the chief reasons I would be worried if I were a supporter of Donald Trump's right now, it's not just that the perception that he has lost ground in the three upper Midwest states, Pennsylvania, Michigan, and Wisconsin. In, in my own sense of things, it feels like a trio of Sunbelt states, Arizona at the top of the list, but also Georgia and North Carolina yeah. uh, have, have trended in the wrong direction since 2016. And, and just like Arizona can replace Wisconsin, if Democrats fell short there, so too can Georgia and North Carolina with the other two states. Look, all you're talking about is there is potentially another path for, for Joe Biden to win this, even if he isn't able to win the, the upper Midwest, which demographically speaking is a little bit more favorable to President Trump. Now, I don't know that Georgia and North Carolina are more likely to go blue than Pennsylvania or Michigan. I don't think I would even, I, I wouldn't say that right now, but if you just look at the polling right. in some of those states right now, it would be a little bit discouraging for, for Trump, just that their trend towards the Democrats has maybe accelerated in the last couple of years, and that, that might be a little worrying for them. Yeah. Okay, before we uh, head out here, I want to turn now to uh, my favorite segment every week, where Francesca and Dave are going to tell me something new, fresh, or original out of their reporting. And Francesca, the honor is yours. Oh, thank you. Well, I have been, as you know, tracking the this presentation of minorities and what they're, you know, the White House is doing to significantly be able to curb coronavirus in their communities. And one interesting development this week was I had this conversation with Dr. Burks, in which she's been really looking at the data in major metropolitan areas and has observed actually that the the coronavirus rates are are coming down there as they have begun to expand testing. And so they find that really encouraging sign. Uh, but specifically, they are now encouraging, because of this, states to expand testing in disadvantaged communities and communities of color and go beyond just, look, let's test the people who are symptomatic. They're saying that we need to test people who are asymptomatic in order to be able to find uh, coronavirus. Because some people also might not realize that the symptoms that they're having aren't just seasonal allergies or something like that. So they might not otherwise, right, come forward for the testing. And so that is something that this White House and the CDC has found has been really successful to reducing the rate in those particular communities of which often made up these major metropolitan areas. So we will continue to be tracking that. And may I just say, Alex, before I conclude my portion of the segment, though, I think it took until the end of this for you to or anyone to even mention the words Joe Biden. And I think that that's really <laughs> reflective, though, of what mm. this is. This is Donald Trump's race to win or to lose. And this will definitely be a referendum on Donald Trump. Well, I might have something to add to that in a bit. But Dave, you're up. So we were talking about vote by mail this week. And I just poked around did a little research. This statistic really popped for me. The Heritage Foundation has a 40-year database that tracks instances of fraud because of voting by mail. And in 40 years, they have found 213 instances of fraud. So not exactly a huge amount of fraud in vote by mail, which obviously the president and some of his allies are contending. And remember, the Heritage Foundation is a 
pretty conservative uh, uh, group. So it's not a left-wing organization providing the data. In 40 years, 213 instances of fraud. Compared to, I think, tens of millions, hundreds of millions, a billion votes, something something like that. <laughs> uh, yeah, over, over 40 over years, it would be a lot of votes. You don't have to be a mathematician to, to crunch yeah. those numbers. Um, okay, mine is uh, just piggybacking off Francesca's point about this election being a referendum. Just a quick note, there was a Quinnipiac University poll that came out yesterday. Yes, it showed Joe Biden with a big lead. Let's put that aside for a second. Quinnipiac's polling usually tends to favor Biden, at least so far, relative to other polls. The thing that really earned my attention, though, was when you look at the favorability rating, not even his approval, but Donald Trump's favorability ranking, that's what corresponded to the amount of support that he got against Joe Biden. Just as an example, you know, I think it was something like 38% of all voters saw Donald Trump favorably, right? Well, he earned 39% support against Joe Biden in in the head-to-head matchup. And you saw that across the demographics. One particular area where it stood out, Joe Biden, for instance, not all that popular with college-educated white voters. He's barely over water, something like 48 to 46%. And yet, in a head-to-head matchup, he actually earns uh, over 50% support within Donald Trump. Why? Because Donald Trump's favorability with white college-educated voters is really low. And and the, the point of this is exactly what Francesca just said, like that voters thus far anyway are processing this election as an up-and-down vote on Donald Trump, and they're not factoring in as of yet Joe Biden to that. I think really if that if Donald Trump wants to win this election, that has to change and it has to start changing fast because summer is rapidly approaching and, and the window uh, for, for this dynamic to change is starting to close. I'm not sure it's something that can just happen all of a sudden in October or even September for that matter. I think the, that process has to start changing now. Thus far, uh, it seems like Donald Trump has some work to do. Okay, uh, David Francesca, thank you so much for coming on the show as always. Great job. That was well timed. Thank you. That worked out. <laughs> I do. I, I try my best. Uh, I want to thank our producer, Jeremy Sheeler, and our executive producer, Davin Cover. And thank you, our listeners. Check us out on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, or whatever podcast app you use. And if you like what you're hearing, please leave us a rating or a review. Talk to you next week. <laughs>